This Week in Startups, The Next Unicorns is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Get NetSuite's free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, when you go to netsuite.com slash twist. LinkedIn, a business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. Go to linkedin.com slash unicorn and get a $50 credit towards your first job post. And Embroker, the Embroker Startup Insurance Program helps startups secure the most important lines of insurance at a lower cost and with less hassle. Get an instant quote and $5,000 of AWS credits when you become a customer at Embroker.com slash twist. While you're there, get 10% off your policy costs by using offer code TWIST10. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Startups. I'm your host, Jason Calacanis, and this is the podcast where we talk to startup founders. Sometimes we talk to an accelerator class where six or seven people are in their first year and they just got their product to market. Other times we talk to legends in tech who have been at it for decades. And this year we decided to do something called the next unicorns, sunicorns, as we call it in the industry. We said, I wonder what companies, Wall Street, the press, and generally the public consciousness will become aware of in the coming years. And so there's a pretty easy way to do this. If some of the legendary investors are doing what's called a series B, C, or D in a company, what that means is they've gotten way down the line in terms of the growth of their startup. When you're starting, you are trying to come up with a great idea. If you have a great idea, you might make a prototype or what's called in the industry an MVP, a minimum viable product. The least amount of work you can do to actually show the product in use. So an example of an MVP for Instagram would be you can upload a photo and you can show it in a feed and you can follow people, right? The most basic version. It doesn't have the explore tab. It doesn't have messaging. It doesn't have filters. That would be the MVP. After you get your MVP, you might have some unpaid pilots. If it's an enterprise software, then you get people to pay for your product. Then you have some revenue. And then eventually you start scaling revenue and you've got a team of dozens of people and the flywheel is moving. Well, that flywheel, if it's not moving, the company goes sideways and they don't typically get a big check from the most respected investors. There's a lot of people in what's called late stage financing today. Why are there a lot of people doing late stage financing? Well, there's a lot of people doing late stage financing because it's a great deal for a venture capitalist. They make a $100 million bet. They make a $250 million bet, a $50 million bet. And when they make that investment, if it grows 10x, they get 20% of that gain. That's called the carry. So let's say they put $100 million into a company and that $100 million for 10% becomes worth $1.1 million. You pay back the 100, now you got a billion dollars in profits, they get 200 million of that billion dollar gain. Late stage investing has become a thing. And it's become such a big thing here in Silicon Valley that IPOs have been pushed off. And that's one of the things you're hearing about in the press today is, oh my God, Uber waited so long to go public. Airbnb waited so long to go public. Slack waited maybe in the middle of what people would normally consider a long time. People going publics in year 8, 9, 10, 11, when they probably in the past, might have done it in year six, seven, eight. What that means is there's more late-stage funding. Late-stage funding is a little mysterious because you don't know what's happening with the company. So it's a great early warning system if you were thinking about what companies might go public. And it's a long-winded way of saying we've done a great job of finding companies that we think have the potential to become the next set of unicorns here in Silicon Valley. Why is it important to be a unicorn? It's not. It just happens to be something everybody in our industry understands, a billion-dollar company, a company worth a billion dollars. What we're really looking for, though, at the end of the day, as investors, as founders, as team members, is not companies that are worth a billion dollars, companies that make a billion dollars. That's actually the true unicorns that we're looking for. Today, Lydia Yan is with us. She's with NextTrucking.com. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Jason. And you started in 2015? Yes. And you want to get right into that microphone there. Oh, okay. Perfect. Uh, and you can move the microphone closer okay. to you if you want. Uh, so tell me, what was the original idea for nexttrucking.com? And how did you get into trucking? I assume you were a truck driver for a decade or two? Yeah, I, absolutely. I can drive a truck. <laughs> you can drive a truck? No. 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 You've never driven a truck. truck. I've never driven a truck. I actually got questioned by several VCs about this. Like, Lydia, can you drive a truck? How can I trust that you can build a trucking company? <laughs> right. So 
What was your answer to VCs who said you're starting a trucking company? How did you come up with the idea to begin with? So my family has been in logistics for a long time, um, especially my husband. He operated a 3PL, traditional 3PL company. What so does it mean, 3PL company? Third-party logistics. Got it. Yeah. So those companies usually operate a warehouse and also find trucking services for their shippers. Got it. Yeah. So somebody shipping something typically from China to America seems to be a pretty popular route these days? But, oh, well, 40% of merchandise in this country are imported. Okay. So we do have a lot of imported goods, but of course we do have a lot of products that are made in the U.S. Still made in the U.S. Yeah. And those products need to be picked up and dropped off uh, to retailers, I guess, or warehouses somewhere? Yeah. So trucking has five, five sectors truckload, less than a truckload, drayage is hauling container from the port to a local warehouse, intermodal is from train station to a local warehouse, and a small parcel. We're very familiar with small parcel. That's why you order something on Amazon, you get delivered. It's a small parcel. But we focus on drayage is port to a local warehouse and truckload, local warehouse to distribution centers. Okay, so drayage is the term. I thought the drayage term was just storage. No. Drayage means something else. Drayage means... Calling a container from the port to a local warehouse. So when we here in the Bay Area see all these giant shipping containers going under the Golden Gate Bridge yep. to the long, uh, what, I'm sorry, to the Oakland, Oakland port, mm -hmm. which is a big port, is it not? It's a pretty big port, but comparing with LA and Long Beach ports, it's relatively smaller. Long Beach is the biggest one. LA and Long Beach, two ports, and they represent about 30% of the market share. Of the United States? Yes, in Bonfreight. Wow. Yeah. So 30% comes in from L.A. or Long Beach. Yeah. And when they get off, uh, the, when the shipping containers come off and they're on the dock, they need to go to a warehouse. Yeah. Uh, and that's called drayage. It's yeah. sort of like get off my boat so that I can get the boat back to China or Taiwan or wherever it's going. Right? They ha that's time is money. They got to get Let them off the boat. Let me give you an yeah. um, example of the whole supply chain for important yeah. goods. So for important goods, they will be... They will be loaded onto a ship overseas, then come into LA Long Beach port, say. And then you will have a drainage truck going to the terminals, pick the containers up, and then they will move to a local warehouse because containers belong to the steamship lines or terminals, then you have to return them. Ah. So LA alone has 36,000 warehouses. And then the, the Los Angeles has 36,000 yeah. warehouses. But aren't they all like an hour in? Lind, aren't they in like the Inland Empire? A lot of them were in Inland Empire, about 60 to 80 miles away from the port. So all of those containers have to be driven 80 miles mm -hmm. to this just hundreds of miles of Local warehouses. local warehouses. And local warehouses will do pick and pack. Then they will get a PO, say, from like Walmart or Target or Amazon. Then we'll send truckload drivers to pick it up or LTL drivers to pick up at local warehouse delivered to distribution centers, say, in other states. Got it. Then distribution centers will work with the e-commerce platform or other retailers to do the last mile. So mm -hmm. we cover first mile, port to local warehouse, and mid-mile, local warehouse to distribution centers. Got it. So you're not doing the Amazon runs from the Amazon mm -hmm. factory, obviously. Mm -hmm. You're just doing that little, I guess it's the first mile off the boat, and then the first 60 miles from the uh, from the boat to a local warehouse, yeah. that's about 60 to 80 miles. Got we it. also do local warehouse to distribution centers that are out of state. So that could be, hey, we're in, we're in the Inland Empire, 60 miles into the desert, basically, east of, Cal east of Los Angeles. And then it's got to go from there maybe to Boulder, Colorado. Yeah, or to Arizona, Arizona. Texas, Nevada, and all those core lanes that and we do. And that's did. all done with shipping. With the shipping are the shipping containers driven or are they unloaded? So because those are heavy metal, like yeah. yeah. So when we talk about containers, it's usually twenty or forty foot long, right? Uh -huh. So we'll move them from the port to a local warehouse. Local warehouse will unload the merchandise into the warehouse, repack them into a normally a fifty-three foot long trailers. That's what you see on the freeway all the time. Uh, then they will go from local warehouse to out of state. And then uh, ocean containers will go back to the port. So we're driving those big heavy metal containers on <laughs> top of what? Railway, railroad cars or? On truck. On a truck. truck is pulling that. Wow. Yeah. Um, is that dangerous, those big heavy things? How did they become the standard? I'm curious. 
That's very interesting. As far as I know, seventy percent of tonnage in the U.S. are moving on trucks. On those containers. On trucks, yeah. On trucks. trucks are hauling container or trailers. Yeah, the containers though are those big heavy metal ones,、mm-hmm. and those are like some weird standard in the industry. Yes. Where did that standard come from? Do you know? That I cannot answer、yeah. that question. Yeah, <laughs> I'm always curious about how、mm-hmm. that came to be because they seem to be very heavy. And inefficient? Are they heavy and inefficient? It's actually lighter than the traditional trailer. Really? And because they go on the ship, but it's more steady, though.、Hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess they're designed to be stacked. Yeah. Efficiently. Exactly. Got it. And so, why does this occur on trucks and not like a train? They, we do have intermodal. Okay. So intermodal is basically when we unload a container, we put them onto the train. Then they will go across the states.、Mm. Then you have intermodal trucking service. Those truck truck drivers will go、mm. into the train station and haul that containers out to a local warehouse. Got it. Okay. When we get back from this quick break, I want to understand what did you add to this that、uh, required technology, and then how does it relate to Uber Freight? Obviously, I'm an investor in Uber, and I've been hearing about Uber Freight for a long time.、Mm-hmm. Uh, when we get back on this week in startups. Hey everybody! I'm here with my friend Jason Maynard, who works at NetSuite. Tell everybody what do you do, Jason? You know, I do I do many things here at NetSuite, but I run the field operations for the business unit. And field operations means what? Sales,、context? marketing, business development, all the stuff in terms of how we acquire customers, take care of them, service them, make sure they're happy. If I'm using a、uh, bunch of different products. Accounting, CRM, customer support, sales. What would Netsuite do in terms of、uh, integrating with those other platforms or replacing them? How、yep. should I look at it when I'm? Because a lot of people just they pick whatever they used at their last company. They duct tape everything together, and Netsuite to me seems like a, sort of a more holistic approach. So, how should people look at that issue? So, yeah, so we sell suite. That's the name, NetSuite,、yeah. right? So it's not NetPoint product,、right. it's NetSuite.、Um, but what we typically do is we start people in financials, right. right? We start with basic financials, inventory, order management. The, that that tends to be the first pain point that we need to remediate, and then over time they look at buying other products from us, whether it's e-commerce or HR or customer management, things like that. But most companies start with financials. And what is it that? Founders need to know about their finances in order to scale properly. Hopefully, founders and executives don't have to spend any time worrying about it. Yeah, right. Our our goal in a lot of cases, if you're a product founder, you just need your systems to work.、Mm-hmm. Right. You need to make sure that you have the, the access to the information you need. And so, I would say some of our our most successful CEOs and founders don't spend a lot of time worrying about finance and accounting,、yeah. and that's that's really our goal, right? We want to make it easy, take that burden off of them. All right, right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide: the seven key strategies to grow your profits. So go to netsuite.com/twist, netsuite.com/twist, and get that free guide: seven key strategies to grow your profits. We appreciate the work you're doing in the startup community. It's great. Thanks, stuff. pal. Thanks. All right, we'll be back with more. All right, Lydia Yan is here.、Um, she is the CEO and co-founder of Next Trucking. Is your is your husband Elton a co-founder as、yes. well, or just your inspiration? He's my inspiration and my co-founder. Okay. Does he work at the company? Yes. So he technically works for you. Yes. Because you're the CEO. Yeah. <laughs> What does he do at the company? He's、uh, he whatever you tell、at. him. <laughs> he works on our sales team. On the sales、yeah. team, got it.、Uh, so, what is the technology at work here? What do you do?、Uh, that how was this previously done? This drayage and and this process of finding trucks to move stuff around. How was that previously done? And then, what have you done over the last four or five years to to bring it into the modern age? Traditionally.、Um, Drivers rely on traditional brokers to find them loads via phone calls or text messages. Brokers, so, so there brokers. are people. There are people are... who own a phone, basically. So there are people with phones. Yeah, with phones. And people call those people and say, "Yeah, shipper will call those people and say, 'Hey, I have a load to be delivered, and find me a truck.'" How does that shipper find the broker? Those brokers are independent agents who just do this for a living. We have independent agents. We have very large brokers. We have traditional three PL companies. We have freight forwarders. It's not very well organized. 
It's messy. It's messy. It's very, very fragmented. Got it. And then how does it work today with Next Trucking? I'm curious. So we call ourselves the first trucker-centric marketplace where we connect shippers with small trucking companies. We primarily focus on trucking companies with less than six trucks and 10 drivers. Got it. Which actually represent 90% of the market share. So 90% of the market is someone with essentially a family-run business that has six or seven trucks. Yeah, typically two trucks. Two trucks. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of owner-operators. Basically, one guy owns one truck and he drives himself. So there's a solo operation. Mm -hmm. Then some people get ambitious and maybe have two or three trucks. You're right. And they rent them out to other drivers. And they mm-hmm. get a piece of their action. They hire those drivers as employees, and they lease or buy trucks, and those drivers will drive for them. And so n- now in this new world, what, how does it work with you guys? People, you have an app or something for people to do this or a web page? How do you route all this stuff? Is it like Uber or Lyft? Um, it's not like Uber or Lyft because it's on, not on demand. It's a marketplace. Oh, so it. basically, shippers can tender loads to us via our platform or via EDN API connections. So we get load information. Then the load will be posted on our mobile app. And then the drivers will see them. They can select the kind of loads that they want to haul. Obviously, we implemented predictive load offering capabilities. We study drivers' behavior, their own preferences. The reason why we call ourselves trucker centric is we actually build a lot of technology surrounding the driver's needs. Hmm. We wanted to, un- because they're human beings, right? They, they are have humans, their, yes. They have their own preferences. Some of the drivers, I wanted to go home at 5 o'clock to cook for my kids. Right. And I have to take loads before that. I can do midnight loads. I don't want to go out over the weekend. But traditionally, they have to call a broker, and broker has limited information. So then they have to negotiate back and forth. And for example, I have a driver who live in L.A., took a load to Arizona, and he wanted to go back to L.A. He called all the brokers that he knew personally, and all the brokers have no loads for him to come home. So he only had two options. One is bobtail back, which he will lose money, or take a load to a destination that he's not preferred. Wait, what did you call it when you bring when you come home with no like a bobtail? Bobtail? Yeah, bobtail. B O B tail. Yeah. What does it mean, bobtail? It's so you're not hauling anything. Got it. Yeah. Ah, so you don't want to do a bobtail because you're not getting paid. You're not getting paid, and you're paying for the fuel. You're paying for the insurance. Uh, Those are the miles that you're not making any money. So you just list for people. Here are all the different jobs that you based on our profile of you, would want to take? So based on the profile of your truck, because I think there's some limitations with the different trucks. Absolutely. Trade trucks, over-the-road trucks, they're a little bit different. And then you might only want to do stuff in the southeast, so you put in your radius that you're willing to drive or something? Yeah, that's also the reason why I think we're very different from some other tech companies that that are in the trucking space. We're more regional-driven. We focus on LA and Long Beach Port at this point, and we build lanes from SoCal to NorCal, Arizona, Texas, Nevada. Those are the core lanes. It's an $800 billion industry. Dredge alone is $60 billion. Wow. And over the road, if we're talking about truckloads, it's about $500 billion. How do you guys make money then? We make the money in between. Like we take money from shippers and we make the commission between and pass the rest to drivers. Got it. So you take 30% or something? What's the average? It's about 15 to 20%. 15 to 20%. So it's similar to what Uber takes or Lyft takes. Actually, I think they're 25%. So it's less than the App Store. What do they typic- What do brokers in between typically take? Those people with the phones? Those. It's about 15 to 20%, sometimes okay. even more, because they might be multiple brokers in between. Ah. For example, like especially in Southern California, we have a lot of drivers who don't speak English. There are a lot of immigrants. Then they hire a translator in between. So the loads got transferred from a shipper to a traditional broker, then into a translator, then to a driver. So they got drivers got taking commissions in multiple times. What does somebody get paid for driving a truckload from Los Angeles, say, to Arizona? That might take them 10 hours or something. And what would they get paid for that 10-hour journey? Depends on the season. So it's very seasonal. Um, Peak so, season is usually the second half of the year. You because know, have, of the holidays and yes, all the shopping we do? Yes, school, Christmas, Black ah. Friday. So they get paid Saturday. twice as much during that, 50%? Sometimes. Really, the mm-hmm. surge. Yeah. So what would, a, what would somebody taking a truckload of toys from the port of, or you know, from Inland Empire to Arizona somewhere, let's say it's a 10-hour ride just to make it easy, 
How do they get paid? So we do have algorithms to calculate the market price.、Oh. So we determine the market price,、mm. and ov- obviously it's very different from January all the way to December. Sometimes、right. the price will surge, especially during the peak season. Right now we're in peak season.、Q4. What would it cost for ten a ten hour ride of a truck? What does it cost to ship a truckload of toys? It depends. Sometimes it's really between nine hundred to sometimes up to two thousand. Uh, so it could be a hundred dollars an hour of driving, two hundred dollars. Is that a good rule、it's、of thumb? It's usually we calculate it by per mile. Per mile. Per mile. So they're going sixty-five miles an hour on average. Yes, we don't really. We calculate it by how much per hour,、uh, per mile, and also the distance. But most likely, we also consider a lot of factors, including supply and demand.、Got、Do、it. we have enough truck drivers going、Got、to、it. that route? Do we have round trips? Because、hmm. if you haul load over there and you're going to Bobtail back, the drivers won't make money. That's why we also create a new function called trips. So we're going to bundle the loads for them to make、Got、sure、it. that the drivers don't have bobtail. Got、times. it. So if it was a six hundred mile trip, they might get paid a thousand or two thousand dollars for that. So it's about a dollar a mile, two dollars a mile, three dollars a mile. What is the average in just in the trucking industry in general? One to three, One five. To three? It depends on the seasonality. So、right. it could be really. Different, because、mm. um, we have, for example, last、uh, peak season for long haul, and because of the tariff and all that, inf- all that situations happening for bi coastal loads can go up to ten thousand dollars. Wow! Yeah, so it's very, very different, and I think that's also the reason why it's important to have a marketplace because you you can really study the market, the movement, the fluctuations that we have, and also all the outside factors that we have tariff and the port congestions. But we actually focus more on drainage,、mm. so from the port to local warehouse. So it's usually a shorter distance, and that is the same—a dollar or two dollars a mile or something. Still very different according to the seasons. The price could be three x comparing,、wow. you know, slow season with peak season. And then, so the drivers are burning fuel, so they're responsible for the fuel of their truck, or is that like an addition to that fee? They're if they're owner operators, and also they're fleet drivers. We're dealing with trucking companies,、mm. so they will. They will be responsible for their own fuel,、Got、their、it. own employees, any own insurance, and、Got、everything. Because we're B two B two B. I understand. So they let's say they get paid two hundred bucks. Is that a fair estimate to go from the dock to Inland Empire or something? That's about right. Two hundred, two hundred fifty, sometimes three hundred fifty, depends on. Okay, the, so let's、um, say two fifty depends on seasonality. We、mm-hmm. get it. Two、uh, fifty. You're pretty good with pricing, I have to say. <laughs> well, I'm just also curious because I don't think we know、mm-hmm. as consumers like what. Actually occurs, so they get paid that two hundred fifty bucks, but they might have a decent amount of fuel, right? Because those things burn a lot of fuel. Yeah, and depending on the traffic and the road situation, could be more.、Mm-hmm. So it may take them whatever two hours, and they might burn a hundred dollars in fuel or something. How much do they burn an hour in fuel? So their net income usually、yeah. is about twenty to twenty five percent of the whatever the fee is. Yeah. So they might make fifty to a hundred bucks an hour. Is that what a truck driver makes? A truck driver typically makes, if they're salaried truck drivers, they typically make about forty-five to fifty thousand dollars a year. So、wow. it's pretty. It's not very high, but if you're own operators and you're your own boss, you、mm-hmm. can possibly make a lot more money. I'll go for drage drivers to allow them to make up to a thousand dollars a day while going home for dinner. Wow! So they can make a thousand dollars a day, and they work five days a week. It'd be a quarter million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. So there must have been some massive inefficiency here for you to take all that out. I, I think、guess. one is absolutely drainage is probably the most complex and the most difficult sector in trucking、mm. because it involves terminals, steamship lines, chassis provided. Chassis is really the platform、huh. on which you can put a container.、Got、it's it. a separate provider. Oh my lord! Yes, so it's very、one. complex. Then sometimes it involves yard management.、Mm. So it's a very, very complex ecosystem.、Mm. And we're the only company that is focusing on drainage right now.、Mm. It's a much smaller sector comparing with full truckload that's almost five hundred billion dollars. It's about sixty billion dollars. But we're headquartered in LA, which is the largest port of the whole country. So we're looking at fifteen billion dollars business just in our city. That is crazy.、Um, all right, when we get back, I want to talk about the elephant in the room, which is we keep hearing through auto and other self-driving truck、uh, technology 
that truck drivers will no longer be driving trucks in 10 years or 20 years. I want to know if you actually believe that uh, truck drivers are going away when we get back on the Speaking Startups. Oh my God, I love LinkedIn for hiring. I have hired three out of the last four people on my team through LinkedIn. Hold on a second. Three out of the last four came from LinkedIn and they are crushing it for me. Amazingly talented people are on LinkedIn every day. And some of them are not looking for jobs. They're just doing their messages, reading their feed, getting all the great content, all the great groups, all the great news, all the great articles and influencers. They're just living on LinkedIn, just like you do. You've been on LinkedIn all day today, I'm sure of it. Over 600 million people visit LinkedIn and search for jobs, and a new hire is made every eight seconds. Huh? And that's where you're going to find those qualified people. And here's Crush putting up a job posting for our new client success manager position in our Toronto office, because we can't find people in San Francisco very easily. So we're tapping other markets, and we use LinkedIn to do that strategy. And my associate, Presh, huh? he's not CMO anymore. He's an associate on the investment team. He is going on uh, to LinkedIn and typing in a bunch of what we're looking for in terms of the skills needed and the description. Maybe he adds a couple of screening questions, which I love. And then he sets the daily budget and zoom, zoom, zoom. Here we go. We start getting candidates all within a couple of minutes. It's so simple. It's so easy. And I want to give you $50, a 50, a 5 just for typing the word unicorn, U-N-I-C-O-R-N. You know how to type unicorn and you are building a unicorn right now with the help of your team that you're going to source on LinkedIn. So why don't, why don't we just give you $50 right now? LinkedIn.com slash unicorn. Can you remember it? LinkedIn.com. That's already in your history. It's going to autofill it. Slash unicorn. As in the company you're building with the incredibly talented people you find on LinkedIn. $50. Terms and conditions apply because it's 50 bucks. obviously. Let's get back to this amazing episode. All right. We're back. Lydia Yan is here. She's the CEO and co-founder, along with her husband and inspiration, Elton, and her employee uh, of nexttrucking.com. <laughs> uh, and they do, uh, they focus on drayage, getting the shipments off the barges and into the warehouses, as we discussed. And we heard all about um, deadheading and bobtailing. Bobtailing, no container in the back, no shipment in the back. Mm-hmm. But deadheading, we've all heard that term for pilots. That's when you're going from you dropped off your load and now you're going with an empty load to pick up a load and then going on your next run. So you have a a leg that's a deadhead. I got it. You're right. All right. So truck drivers, it's a tough job. It's a tough job. Imagine like you're sitting in a truck for eight hours a day or 11 hours a day. That's illegal driving hours. 11 is the max they can drive. Yeah. Yes. It's very tough. Like I drove myself to Vegas once and I drove like four and a half an hours. I, I, I was you didn't like so it. frustrated. You should get yeah. a test of self drives, put it on autopilot and you get an audio book from audible.com slash twist to get you free front copy of the book. <laughs> um, sorry, I just dropped in a, an ad there. Um, so they can drive up to 11 hours a day. Mm-hmm. That's policed, right? They get pulled over. They check their yep. logs. Yep. Um, and so that is a serious thing if they go over right they're not allowed to go over is Mm -hmm. there abuse in that system do you think people go over or no actually last year i think april 1st we have eld mandate electric lock device mandate so every single truck needs to install an eld so the drivers will be measured by the number of hours they're driving oh wow so there is a device yeah Starting next April. La- last April. Last April. It started called already. an ELD, mm-hmm. an electronic locking device, yeah. that when the truck hits 11 hours, mm-hmm. it's no longer allowed to drive? Mm-hmm. or it- They have to reset at certain times. Ah, they have yeah. to reset it. So the goal for ELD is really to make sure drivers are driving safely because you mm. cannot drive too many hours. Then you're, you'll be distracted and you will fall asleep. It's mm. really for the safety reasons. Yeah. That makes total sense. And they're just, does the truck turn off or something when it hits 11 hours? Or no, you just uh, you just need to turn it off yourself. Got it. Yeah. You got to turn it off. You and then they reset. get fines if they blow past 11 hours or if they were to mess with that. Yeah. Um, so it's a difficult job. People can do 70 hours a week, 60, 70 hours a week. There's some limit. There's a limit. Yeah. yeah they have to reset after, I believe, it's five days, 11 hours. They have to reset. Huh. Mm-hmm. Five days. At 11 hours, mm-hmm. they need a weekend off or a day off, two yeah. days off? they have to set. They can choose when they want to reset. Got it. Yeah. What does it mean to reset? Just Reset, which off? means you have to rest for two days. For two days? Yeah. Wow. So we that's great in the United States that we're that safe. I 
don't think it's a good thing for the industry overall because um, we're, we, we, the biggest problem of our industry is trucker shortage. We don't have oh. enough truck drivers. We don't have enough capacities. Hmm. And uh, with the ELD mandate, obviously it's safer for the truck drivers, but overall we'll have more severe trucker shortage problem. Ah, so it should be one day maybe? Instead of two? There are certain hours, but yeah, I don't want to make comments on the policies. Right. And I think there's a reason why it's there to really protect mm. the drivers, their mental but you health can't get, and health. You can't get enough drivers. That's the big problem in the industry? It's One is a lot of people said we're short of at least 50,000 truck drivers. And in another five to 10 years, we're going to short, that number will triple. But you said 50,000? 50,000. So we need 150,000 more truck drivers over the coming years. We're not keeping up. We're not keeping up. And our average driver's age is over 50. I think it's 51 now. Ah. And a lot of people are retiring. A lot of people don't want to drive. And it's, it's a tough lifestyle, yeah. especially for long haul drivers. They're out of home nine months out of a year. Oh, brutal. So, you know, it's it's not, and also they're driving on the road all the time. They sleep in truck stops. It's not a very healthy lifestyle. They sleep in the cabin of their back of their truck, right? They do that too. So a lot of them do, especially long haul drivers, they have a bed in their truck. They have a bed? Mm-hmm. They have a bed. But they don't have showers and they don't stay at a hotel room? Uh, they do have truck stops. Truck stops actually offer a lot of things, including, yeah. you know, hotel rooms and showers and Got shopping it. malls. But still, they a lot of them actually, there are not, not a lot of nice restaurants on the road. Yeah, no. Yeah, so obesity is actually one big problem in the industry. Because mm-hmm. you're sitting all the time. You're sitting all the time. You don't And you're drinking a big up. gulp or coffee. or And you some, eat fast food. And you eat fast food. Yeah. Ugh. Terrible. It, it's very bad lifestyle. So we have a shortage now, but a lot of people are saying that truck driving is going to be the first easy thing to do as self-driving. When do you think self-driving trucks will actually exist in the United States and be on the road without a driver in them? I'm, I'm sure there'll be driving assist technologies like we have in cars, and I know they're already testing that. But when do you think we'll have trucks going between Long Beach and Arizona in this hypothetical situation um, and not have a driver in them? 10 years, 20 years? I'm thinking about technology probably will be mature in five years. Uh And the biggest hurdle is really regulations. Mm. Right now, autonomous trucks can operate in two states only and only on certain freeways. So I think the bigger hurdle will be how they overcome the insurance policies mm. and get, make sure that every state government allow that to happen. Yeah. So that will be that will take more time. Mm. And I believe autonomous trucks are here to really to empower the drivers. Mm. Um, I talked to multiple startup founders who focus on autonomous truck manufacturers or technologies or kits that mm. empower the traditional trucks. And a lot of them told me that, you know, when they they believe when those trucks come into the market, they will probably go to the long haul first. Hmm. So it's, it will be a yard, we call yard to yard operations. So they will go to a local yard, like a parking lot. Then hmm. they go on the freeway immediately, then get off the freeway to go to local yard. Because local situation is a lot more complex yeah, than the, the freeway. And the freeway is easy. Yeah. And it relieve the burden for drivers drive many hours and also yeah. drive can driver can drive more than 11 hours a day because they can take a nap ah, on the freeway yeah. so they could still be in the truck but when mm-hmm. on the freeway they could take a nap in the back yeah they would get alerted if there was something wrong to take over exactly. they might have 10 seconds 20 yeah. seconds to take over but yeah. they could be napping or doing whatever so they would yeah. be more like a pilot who's on autopilot exactly yeah that's what we believe that will happen in 10 years and we could be one of the few companies, or the first of few companies that start using that technology. Because we have a lot of routes, you know, drivers don't want to go. We call mm-hmm. those drivers not so hot lanes, right? So because normally they don't have round trips, because typical long-haul drivers' behavior is they go out of state, they oh. come home, right? But if machine, like in a lot of routes, for example, LA to Montana, a lot of people don't want to go there because they don't have a backhaul. Right. Right. So those routes can be covered by autonomous trucks. And also, once those trucks are ready, they need to know the routes. They need to, at the end of the day, no matter it's a truck with a truck driver or a truck without truck drivers, the loads have to be removed. 
Right. Like who's doing that, right? And we are aggregating all the data and aggregating all the shipper resources. So at the end of the day, we're going to tell those trucks, okay, you go to this place first and go to go around really to minimize the debt head right. or or they don't need to bobtail. Do do the dri- are the drivers in a truck drivers responsible for unloading the trucks or does the, does the person they're delivering to have to unload them? Usually warehouse will be responsible uh, for unloading. They have warehouse workers. So that's also the reason why we have appointments with mm-hmm. the warehouses, especially right. during the peak season. Um, and how do you get more truck drivers in this kind of low employment environment? We have, they have other options. They could drive for DoorDash. They could, do any gig work, yeah, right? Yeah, it can be an Uber driver. It can be an Uber driver, et cetera. And then they could just drive whatever number of hours in their local community. How do you compete for that? And did you lose people to that ride sharing? Or did the, the industry lose people to ride sharing? Yes. Actually, right. the industry lost a lot of drivers to ride sharing hmm. because it's a much... You, the reason why people choose to drive is because they want freedom. They want mm. flexibility. They want to have choices. Mm. But unfortunately, as a truck driver, even though you chose to be in this job, you didn't have a lot of choices because you work with traditional brokers. Mm. And a bro- brokers would decide where you wanted to go. Yeah. So that's what we wanted to change. We call ourselves trucker-centric. We want to put the drivers on the driving seats, allowing them to dictate what they want. Hmm. That's the reason why they choose that job and allow them to make more money, become more efficient. Then that's a career people wanted to pursue. Then we can attract the younger drivers to the industry hmm. and the really balanced supply and demand. All right. When we get back from this final break, I want to know what the impact of Uber Freight has been. I understand that business is growing like crazy. And are they a competitor or not? And then I want to know why the drivers don't set the price as opposed to the person who is, uh, you know, putting the shipment out there. I guess the person who makes it or, you know, is uh, doing the um, shipping the product when we get back on This Week in Startups. All right, listen, you need to have insurance for your startup. I do. And with me today, Matt Miller from Embroker. He's the CEO and founder. Welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me, Jason. All right. Tell me, what is the Embroker Startup Program? The Embroker Startup Program is the first fully digital insurance program for startups. So we can provide startups with all the coverage they need, less than five minutes, save them a bunch of money. Amazing. You just fill out a form. It's like checking out at Amazon. Like checking out at Amazon. Just that, that simple. Easy. Basically that simple. So why did you build the startup program? Why, why isn't the regular insurance programs that are available good enough? I actually had to buy insurance for my own company, the founder, and wow. it was literally so painful that I didn't do it. I actually did not buy the coverage and I decided we actually had to build something that was that was better, that was worth the, the, the type of overall software we're building. What, why are insurance brokers so annoying? I don't think they try to be annoying. But I think they are. They, they oh, can, they can be. be. And it's so confusing. Yeah. It is so Why confusing. Why is it so confusing? Why are they so annoying? I think it's confusing because the industry wants to make it confusing. They, oh. they make more money the more confused you are. If you think you need this guy to help you, you don't ask the right questions. Got uh, it. But it doesn't have to be. It feels like used car salesmen. It can a little bit feel like that, where you're getting sold something, you don't really know if you need it. Right. And that's what I love about you. You're like the Tesla of insurance because you go to Tesla, you just sign up. And you get a Model 3. And you don't negotiate the price, and you get it instantly. That's exactly what we're trying to build. And yeah, we think it works pretty well. Yeah, I, I use it, and it's amazing. So thank you for building it, Matt. Thanks, Jason. So get an instant quote and the $5,000 in AWS credits right now by going to Embroker.com slash twist. And when you check out, use twist10 to get 10% off. Thanks for coming in, Matt. Thanks for having me, Jason. All right. And we never thought we'd see the day here in Silicon Valley of Silicon Valley taking on Really, the final couple of industries that have been resistant, transportation, hospitality, construction, education, and music, were always the verticals that venture capitalists said, oh, my God, stay away from those. That's where startups go to die. Uh, But we're seeing it now. I guess Flexport has had a big impact on the industry. Uh, Yourselves, uh, obviously, having raised over $150 million uh, or so, maybe $125 million. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, $125 million. Uh, and then on top of that, you have this Uber Freight. Is Uber Freight competitive with you? Because that's on-demand trucking, or is it more like what you're doing, like trucker-centric? Uh, Uber Freight focused more on truckload, ah. long haul. 
So we focus more on Dre Edge. Got so it. it's a different sector. So they're doing that long haul. Yeah, they're doing the long haul. Are and they on uh, demand? Like it's very it's marketplace, right? Marketplace. Because for most the drivers, they have to plan their trips at least twenty four hours prior ah. the trip because we're not like driving a small car. Right. right. Yeah, you got to yeah. get the truck filled with gasoline. Yeah. You got to get a good night's sleep and the safety. They need to check the engine and everything because ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're moving millions of dollars with goods. Yeah. Um, and then, why is the price? Who's? How does the price get set? Like, shouldn't the driver say, "I'll," or has anybody tried the driver saying, "I'll do that ride for twelve hundred"? Somebody else coming in saying, "I'll do eleven hundred." Somebody else saying, "I'll, I'll do it for nine hundred. Why isn't it like an auction like that? And did you consider that business model? No, because it actually adds more complexity to the business. Mm-hmm. Um, Truck drivers are more reactive. Mm. So what we wanted to do is really provide them with a fair market price because mm. it really determined by the market. It's like mm. stock price, supply right. and demand. Like during the peak season, we have a lot of loads. We don't have enough drivers. We need to pay more slow season and we have a lot of drivers. So you know that better than they do. Mm-hmm. So when you put the options out there, if you don't see somebody picking up that ride, do you raise the price? So we do aggregate data from the market, different source data, and also Mm -hmm. our own resources internally. So we do have a data science team that studies the market price and it determines the market price. And for the person who is doing the shipping, do they get to say, listen, I want to get somebody on this quickly. I'm willing to pay a little extra. You know, I'm doing Apple watches or the iPhone and Apple is making so much money on that. They they care that it gets there on time. Mm-hmm. Do you have that where you have certain shippers who are like, you know, somebody like an Apple or somebody like a Samsung who's like, you know what, I'm not price sensitive here. I need to get these things as quickly as possible and I'll pay a higher price. Is there like a bifurcation of that? People who want to save money and go slower? People want to go faster? Most shippers do have uh, shipping windows, which mm-hmm. means because we're shipping truckload, yeah. right? Containers, big a amount of goods so comparing with like you're shipping a small part so it's very different so usually when we ship on-time delivery is very very important no matter it's an enterprise account or small shipper they Mm. always wanted to make sure you ship on time Mm. and we work with primarily enterprise shippers fortune 500 companies including samsung yeah so it's important that we pick on time we deliver on time we provide visibilities entire route because that's what they're looking for. That's also the reason why they choose to work with technology companies. Because traditionally, they work with a broker. Then broker, you, you, you probably won't believe this. They will call a broker. Broker will call a driver, ask where the driver is. Then they send an email to ship it. Oh, the driver is there. And that what? would, yeah, they would do that why multiple times. Why do they just times. have an app like Uber that shows where the truck is? Well, unfortunately, I don't think people were putting a lot of focus on logistics until recently. Got it. Yeah. So you make it, do you have an app? Where yes, you, we do have a mobile app. Got it. So the app then tells you where the driver is in real time. And does that go back to the shippers? In, and they can just look it up anytime. Real time. Yeah. Real time. Why don't the shippers, I never understood this. Why wouldn't the shippers just throw a tracking device into one of the boxes that has an LTE connection? And just pings. They don't own the boxes. I know, but if they had a box of iPhones or Samsung has a box of phones. Oh, okay. Essentially, they could turn on one of the phones or just put in any device Mm -hmm. into the box Mm -hmm. and know where it is at all time. Like I put tile trackers into on all my keys, Mm -hmm. you know, little tile trackers and some of these other trackers. I've used a couple different brands. And I put them on the keys or I put them in my luggage. So every piece of luggage has one. So if a piece of luggage gets lost, I know where it is. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that also involves privacy issues, right? Oh. Who's for hauling this? How how long you can track the drivers? Right. Like we don't track the drivers when they're not on the load. It's mm. for privacy. So same thing if you yeah. put an item, you, you put a tracker on an item, which means you know exactly when it arrives at the customer's, yeah. right? And at the customer's home. So then it involves a big privacy issue. Got it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was just thinking if I'm sending, you know, a thousand iPhones or whatever smartphones mm-hmm. and they're going to, you know, Circuit City or something, at least I would know 
That's a great idea. Yeah, that's a great idea. But that don't do that. Yeah, but we do have multiple tracking systems right now. We track the trucks, track the drivers, and in route. So we do provide the you know step by step uh, tracking real time data to our shippers. They can go to our website. They really see the little truck icon moving, and also we integrate with their. Transportation management systems. A lot mm. of enterprise shippers they actually spend millions of dollars on their TMS software. Wow! So、uh, we actually integrate with them, EDI or API. So we feed the status to them automatically.、Oh, so they don't need to change behavior to hop between different software. How does Amazon change all of this? Because they are shipping so much stuff. How, what's their impact on the industry been? Because I know that they have their own airplanes now.、Mm-hmm. I don't think they have their own shipping containers yet, but what's their impact on the industry been? I think they're doing a great job, and they're on the forefront of really promoting the idea of automating logistics,、huh. and they also give the impact to the industry that it's time to really leverage and upgrading our software and assistance because, you know, in the ten, like ten years ago, if we started a Technology company logistics, we probably couldn't even raise money. Right,、yeah. it was not so sexy for a lot of VCs and investors.、Yeah. And because of the rise of e-commerce, now the demand from customers, I want to see where the load is. I wanted to understand real time. And also in the past, for an importer, their margin was so high. Like logistics cost was a fraction of their margin.、Mm. But now, because of e-commerce, like even Alibaba, everything、yeah. is so transparent. The margin was so slim for、mm. a lot of vendors. So then, logistics right now accounts for what ten percent of、mm. average shippers' margin. So now everybody is looking at, oh wow, eight hundred billion dollar industry, trillion dollar industry for logistics, eight hundred billion dollar industry for trucking. There's no technology. Most of the softwares were built. In the ninetieth, so、wow. now it's time for disruption.、Uh, and you're from Shanghai originally. I was born in Shanghai. You were born in Shanghai. Yeah.、Uh, and what has the trade war done? Ha- have you seen any impact of that? Because we hear about the trade war. Is it impacting the number of things that are being shipped to America from China? Have you seen any? Absolutely.、Change? Yeah. There's、uh, in the last year we've seen inconsistency. So it's not necessary. It's impacting the total volume of imported goods, but it's changing the seasonality.、Mm-hmm. For example, last peak season, we had the busiest peak season and longest peak season because all the importers were trying to push the volume before the tariff kicked in.、Ah. Then our peak season was. Dragged all the way to January. Usually, it ends beginning of the December because、mm. that's Christmas shopping. After、yeah. that, it's post Christmas shopping and the Chinese New Year. The ports were not that busy, but last year it dragged to January. Wow! And also, they said the delay at the port cost over three hundred. Just LA Long Beach ports cost over three hundred fifty million dollars. Just the delays because delays. so much stuff was so coming congested,、in. and、yeah. also ninety nine. They said over ninety nine percent of the local warehouses were full because everyone's trying to push in the volume,、mm. so nobody wants to pay for the tariff, right? What, what do you think of the back and forth between and the relationship between China and America today? Having you know done a company, you did a company in Shanghai, correct? Yeah.、And、now you're doing your second company or third company here. Second company. Second company here. What's the difference as a founder between running a company in China and running a company here? It's I I prefer to run a company here. You have a lot more freedom、mm-hmm. and.、Uh, The competition is different. Like、yeah. China's competition is, you create a business model, then you have a hundred copycats immediately. Immediately, but here is everyone's trying to approach the problem in a different angle. Right. So it's really encouraging creativity, and it's、mm. a different. It's a much healthier competition. Got it. And I think U.S. investors are more. Realistic and logical、mm. uh, when it comes to putting money into、uh, startups. Yeah. So I enjoy working with my investors. Yeah. At the start of the conversation, you mentioned、uh, some of these VCs asked you, like, "Have you ever driven a truck?"、Mm-hmm. I'm curious, as a Chinese female entrepreneur pitching American VCs about a trucking industry in 2015, what was that like for you? And how did you overcome the objections, or did people just say, "Why not you?"、Mm-hmm. It, was was it, like? it was very difficult. It was. It was very difficult. 
If you look at my demo app, I did 600 demos in the past four years. I got demoed 600 times to investors? Investors, shippers, and carriers. Uh. I was demoing myself. And I think I got rejected over uh, 200 times in the past four years. It was a journey for me because, you know, I'm 5'2". I'm an Asian woman and uh, I have an accent. (laughs) I I, I went to school here, but I was spent 20 years in China before I moved over here. So it was challenging. I, I totally understand. People underestimate you? I'm... Well, because I look, I look out of place when yeah. people just put me next to a truck. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Me so, too. Yeah. Yeah. So people cannot imagine like a Chinese woman in trucking industry. It's irrelevant. Yeah. But I think I proved it because yeah. um, obviously the first two years were very very difficult for us. Even though we actually did eleven million dollars first year. You did eleven million dollars in your first year. Yeah, wow. And I was so. And you kept twenty percent of that. Wow. Yeah. And so we you were, were profitable immediately. We were profitable. Yeah. And a we Pegasus. Had a... You're not just a uni- next unicorn. <laughs> you're a Pegasus now. So capital efficient. Yeah, we were very efficient, and obviously we work our butt off. Yeah. Um, it was a very small team. We worked many, many hours. What's because... the right number of hours for a startup in the first couple of years in your mind to work? What was the hours you were working? Six for days a week. Like me? Fun- yeah. It depends on kind of founders because I don't have the profiles. I don't have the Silicon Valley typical. CEO profile right. and I didn't go to I didn't work at Google Facebook I didn't but go to, to Stanford. Stanford I went to USC you went to USC yeah and okay. I didn't have an engineering degree Got so it. I'm very different from what VCs yeah. would love to have traditionally I think it's so, changed now. yeah but it was so that's why I didn't have a lot of choices and I didn't have a lot of money. So I had to work in multiple positions mm. and it actually helped me the first two years. So I really worked at from the receptionist to operations to accounting. So I know you did everything. everything. I did everything. So powerful be- when you've done everything because then nobody can tell you that it's complicated. Nobody, nobody can, can fool you, me. Nobody <laughs> can fool you. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, you, just like me. When I did my magazine mm-hmm. 25 years ago, my first magazine, I learned how to shoot the photos, write it, design it, shipping, receptionist, sales. I did everything, subscriptions. And then people were like, hire somebody. And they're like, yeah, this is going to take like 20 hours. So I was like, I could do that in two hours. Exactly. They're like, okay, I'm going to do it in four. And I'm yeah. like, okay, get to work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we, we have in China, uh, folks believe 996. 9 a.m., 9 p.m., six days a week. <laughs> the commitment level in China for founders and startups is much higher than America today. That's true. That's actually true. I actually went to Alibaba's office because I was at their um, logistics convention. Oh. So I visit their campus, and uh, at 8 p.m., the offices were full. At 8 p.m.? 8 p.m. So I was very surprised at the dedications and the kind of loyalty. But I think I... We built a good company culture here. Yeah. Um, we wanted to move very fast because I believe speed is the only competitive advantage. Speed is the only competitive advantage yeah. for a startup. Yes. And because I worked in China before and I failed miserably because it couldn't compete with a local. And I didn't know I could do fundraising. I need to build a strong team. So I was working. I had a healthy, profitable Small startup. Right. And uh, I was profitable six months after we launched the website. I had a flash sale website before. And I failed miserably after a year and a half because I didn't raise money. And uh, there's so much competition. So I know, like, the first two to two years for me, for Next Trucking, it was very difficult. We had to work very hard because yeah. we couldn't afford to bring in the best of people, right? right? We couldn't pay for the salaries. And my background is not strong enough to attract the top talents. So we worked ourselves. Right. And the third, now, like, I think when the company has about 50 to 100 people, this size, we really start, especially after we raised the Series B and Series C, we focused on hiring top talents, the right. best of people. So you had to change your entire game. What yeah. worked for the first two or three years yes. did not work for the last two or three. You have to say, I'm going to do six jobs. Everybody here is going to be a generalist, do three, four, You're five right. jobs. Absolutely. Then you get to the last two or three years, the years five, six, and seven, four, five, and six, you have to find people who do one job better than anybody in the world. You're right. And give them four people to report into them. Yeah. So you have five people doing one job function that previously 
was one of five that one person was doing. You're right. Now I focus more on company culture, yeah. building a rock star team, mm. and they're really trying to let go and let the people who are better than me in this area How's to do their job. I'm very happy with my team. Yeah. I'm very proud. Were um, you able to hand off stuff or was that difficult for you as a type A person that you clearly are? <laughs> Well, you found out that fast. I found it on the first 30 seconds. I just revealed <laughs> it now, but yes. It was difficult um, to let go at the very beginning, but I realized that my executive team can do a better job than me. Yeah. And I focus on bringing the good people. And I, I learned from them. Like, they're better than me in a lot I of areas. I felt that way with yeah. Sir Charles, my new director here. <laughs> it was better. I used to set up all the cameras and microphones myself. I didn't. I'm yeah. Joking. No. But it is a nice experience when you can hand something off and know this person's not only going to do it, mm-hmm. they're going to do it better than me. Yeah. That is just such an amazing moment as a founder. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Amazing experience. But it doesn't happen unless you can get the best people. Absolutely. That's yeah. my OKR <laughs> for the year. Get best. Get the best people? Build a rock star team. <laughs> Build a rock star team. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you get that rock star talent for something that, let's face it, trucking might not be considered super sexy when compared to making video games or, you know, whatever, some consumer product. Yeah. I think it comes from the company vision Mm. and the mission, right? So we wanted to build a trucker-centric marketplace. And what we're building is actually pretty sexy Mm. because we focus on drainage. There's no drainage product or new modern technologies in the world, hmm. like we're the first company, whatever we're building is one of a kind and is new. Yeah. So we're inventors for drainage solution. That's very sexy. And also we really change people's life. Yeah. You know how it feels when a driver comes in, tears down and say, thank you so much for changing my life. Really? We had a video about this. This driver name is Kevin Luke and he was he had a small business before, then he failed miserably, then he went bankrupted. Then he became a company truck driver. He worked very hard to save a little bit of money, leased his own truck. He became an entrepreneur. Then he couldn't still make money hmm. because he got stuck at a port for seven hours, make $250 a day. So then he joined us last year. Now he has three trucks. Like it changed his life fundamentally. And the guy came, he's our big, he's, we have multiple drivers like that. Like they're our fan and they came in, they give us feedbacks. They tell us what to build and how mm-hmm. we can help them to change life. Yeah. And that feeling is different from building a video game. Yeah. Like it's really changing the hardworking people who were underappreciated I in the past. I agree with you. Yeah. I agree with you. See, this is the thing. You can find meaning. Sometimes mm-hmm. the meaning is deeper. Yeah. And you have to think about that. And a lot of times people criticize Uber. Uh, oh, you know, the drivers don't get a great deal. I think one of the – I'm very proud of the investment. Um, even if people are just making 15 or $20 an hour because a lot of those people would have had to work an hour away from home or two hours away from home mm-hmm. making the same amount. Yeah. Working at, you know, whatever, a Target as a greeter or a Walmart or some other terrible job. And they wouldn't have been able to pick their hours. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't have been able to drop their kids off at school or pick them up or do their homework with them. They would have to get a nanny or somebody to pick up their kids. And what Uber allowed people to do is set their own schedule. It's a great cause. It's a great cause. And this is why unemployment in this country is so low right now. Mm -hmm. I believe the reason unemployment is so low is because specifically of the ride sharing and the delivery services providing this option, almost like a foundational option of guaranteed employment for anybody with a driver's license. Mm-hmm. If you have a driver's license, you can go work for DoorDash or Grubhub or Uber Eats or Uber or Lyft or Via, whatever they are. There's a ton of other competitors. And you never have to worry about not being able to get a job that pays 50% more than minimum wage. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Exactly. That's how technology can empower the human beings. That's exactly what we wanted to do. I always told my team that let's work for a cost, not yeah. for a plus, right? There's yeah. so many fancy things out there. But this is a real deal. This is changing people's life. See, Americans are so entitled that they look at this floor of jobs mm-hmm. and they take it for granted. Yeah. But you know people in China, they were coming from the north, from farmlands where they shared you know, one spigot for... You know, five families were sharing one water well, 
and no heat. It right? actually changed a lot, but <laughs> it's changed a lot because yeah. they got to move down to cities and work in factories, and actually and have technology and yeah. technology mm-hmm. and. Things have changed for the better. They're yeah. pretty grateful to get those jobs, right? Yeah. Here in America, people are just like, it's not enough. And it's like, we, we've raised the minimum wage to $15 in a lot of these cities. And it's had a great impact. I mean, the economy here is doing so well because now that we've raised the minimum wage and people are making $15, mm-hmm. you know what they're doing? They're going out to restaurants. So people who normally wouldn't have the money to go to restaurants, mm-hmm. they're not making whatever, $19, $25. They go, you know what? I can afford to go to a restaurant once in a while. Mm-hmm. And that's a group of people who maybe didn't go to restaurants. They just ate at home, whatever. Yeah. I think the world's, don't you think the world's getting much better? Of course. <laughs> it is getting better. Why does everybody feel it's not? Well, I think if I feel like it's yeah. actually getting a lot better. It's getting objectively much better. The quality of life improved because of technology. Massively. And, yeah, and uh, people have more flexibilities because of technologies. Yeah. Yeah, that's why we're. I'm very proud to be in this ecosystem. Me too. It's, mm-hmm. it's about time people in Silicon Valley were proud again mm-hmm. of the work we're doing to help humanity. I, I know Facebook screwed up the election. I know there's like bad behavior that occurs. But net-net, this has been... Entrepreneurship has been great for America and great for humanity. Yeah, for sure. Things are going well. All right. Lydia, congratulations. Thanks for coming on the pod. Uh, Nexttracking.com, you're hiring, obviously. Things are going well. You raised a lot of money. Uh, And the culture is, if you want to do meaningful things and help people do meaningful work, but you got to be hardworking. It's not 996, but it's It's not not. 9 to (laughs) 5. I think we don't really force people to work long hours, but... We do work very hard over there because we have a common goal is really to empower the drivers. Yeah. See, that's great. All right. Listen, continued success. And we'll see you all on the next This Week in Startups. Bye-bye.